Bet you guys didn't know I was that flexible. Stand right up there. Oh. Ibuprofen, people. Anyways. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Way to come out on this stormy morning that we've had this morning. Um, I always think, like, I think here lately, as we've gotten on in our country's age, that we have become wimps. And uh, we get all scared about the snow and all that kind of stuff. So don't be a wimp. And good to be here. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We've got a lot to cover. All right, so go ahead and turn to John chapter 5. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If not, page 1063 uh, in the Bible there in the seats. And again, I always encourage you to have your Bible, open up your Bible, make sure what I'm saying is, is accurate or put it up on the screen is accurate. Hopefully you're continuing to read through John because I've got a lot to cover today. And I'm scared because I already had somebody who I really respect and I really look to and give me counsel as to how I teach. He walked up to me today after 9 o'clock service says, that was a lot. So I'm scared, all right, because there is a lot. There's a lot of good stuff, um, and I'm going to try to rip through it here as best I can, um, but I'm going I'm to probably like dr- bring you back every once in a while because you're going to be drifting, thinking about the football game, thinking about what you're going to be eating, snacking this afternoon, all that kind of stuff. So, all right, so we've been following Jesus, right? He's been traveling. He keeps traveling between Jerusalem and Cana at this point. Uh, which is, you know, over a 60, 70 mile walk. So he's got a lot of walking going on. He's in really good shape, evidently. Um, John 2 tells us that he kicked off his public ministry. He even told his mom, hey, listen, there's no longer going to be this, you know, I'm not going to be so concerned about your welfare in this world. I'm going to be concerned about God the Father's welfare. So he had that interesting conversation. He turns the water to wine. And then John 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, he heads down to Jerusalem for the Passover, and we talked about that. And in fact, he went in and he cleared out the temple. The, the uh, religious leaders had turned the worship of God into a money-making scheme. <laughs> Boy, sadly, don't we hear that a lot, uh, even today. And so he goes there and he clears out the temple and he, he uh, confronts the religious leaders. And then he, he explains to one of them, into John chapter 3, this guy named Nicodemus, uh, and he explains to him that, first of all, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, those who are supposed to know who God is, you have no clue who God is. You have no clue what the Old Testament has taught. Uh, you're doing your own thing. And then he goes on to tell them about how a person can have eternal life. And, and that's really what John's whole focus is, is for this gospel he wrote, this biography of Jesus' life, Jesus' life is, is what is eternal life? How do you know you have eternal life? And so we're going to be talking about that Every single week, because Jesus brings it up almost every single week, about how do we know we can have eternal life, this relationship with God. And so again, this is, this is a great series for you to be encouraging your friends and family and co-workers, those who don't know Christ, to come to, because we're going to be talking about how they can have a relationship with Christ and the impact that, that makes on a person's life as well. And so the religious leaders, they're not happy with Jesus at this point, obviously, because of what he's done by clearing out the temple and his conversation that he had with Nicodemus that no doubt came back uh, to them. And so knowing it wasn't his time to go to the cross, because eventually that's why he's going to end up in Jerusalem, is to go to the cross on our behalf, John 4 tells us that he heads north uh, through Samaria, where he meets this Samaritan woman. We talked about this last week. And he meets up with her. She, uh, he stops at a well where he, they would get water half mile from town, and she happens to come out. And he did that, so he would have a conversation with her. He, he didn't 
come there for any other reason but to have a conversation with this individual. And we talk about how throughout the Old Testament, and into the New Testament with Jesus, that God is always initiating relationships with individuals. That he wants a personal relationship with people. And now he's come in the flesh and he's doing the same thing. So he meets up with this lady and he tells her about how to have eternal life. And then she's excited about it. She drops her water bucket. She heads a half mile back into town. And she starts telling all these people that had ostracized her and had kind of kicked her out of their lives that, hey, I think I found the Messiah, the, the one who came from God to be our Savior. That's what that title means. And so the entire town comes out and they, they interact with Jesus. Hey, could you stay a few more days? So he goes into the town and he hangs out there for a couple more days and they're saying, hey, we believe you're the Savior of the world, not based so much on what she says anymore, but on what you're saying. We're, we're hearing what you're saying. We, we get what you're teaching. We believe that you are God, that you are the Savior of the world. Well, with his work done there, Jesus leaves Samaria and he heads back up to Cana, again, where he had been in chapter 2. Many of the people in Cana had been in Jerusalem during the Passover, and so they knew all that Jesus was doing in Jerusalem around the temple where he's doing a bunch of miracles, as we were told. And so they knew about it, and so when they heard he was coming back, they were getting excited about this. Now, just a little FYI, as we're going through John, uh, Jesus met with Nicodemus, and that was just those two. They were just having a, a conversation one night. But most of the time, when Jesus is interacting with individuals, there is a crowd of people around him. The, Jesus coming around and, and doing miracles and the way he was teaching, the way he was ripping on the religious leaders and, and tearing them down, they just loved that. They wanted to be around Jesus. They didn't have TV. They have Netflix. They didn't have their phones. They had what was in front of them in their eyes, and so they followed Jesus around. So anytime Jesus was kind of giving it to the religious leaders, everybody around was hearing that. And so Jesus is surrounded by people, and that's what happens here. He gets to Cana, and there's a, um, a government official from Capernaum, which is over here on the top of the screen. And he comes over. It's about a 20, 25-mile walk, something like that. And so he comes over, and he finds Jesus, and he says, Hey, Jesus, my son is dying. And so I, we're not going to read it. I just want to give you some summary details here. So he says, Hey, my son is dying, and Jesus says, you know, you guys are always looking for signs. Everybody wants miracles. And that's kind of is with us today, right? I'll believe in Jesus if. I'll believe that Jesus is God if he does this for me or if he does that for me. But Jesus is going to test this man's faith because he says to him, go, your son lives. Normally, Jesus is right there doing the miracle. But now he's doing something different here and he's actually saying to the guy, hey, listen, you're going to have to believe me. You have to trust what I'm promising to you and that is, your son lives. And so it says, the man, it says, John says, the man believed Jesus and he headed home. And as he gets home, uh, as he's on the road home, his servants come running out. It's kind of like they're going to go tell him before he gets home and he's coming home. And so there's going to be this meet, meeting up and they're like, hey, your son is alive. And he says, I'm just kind of curious, when, when did like, he get healed? You know, when did the fever break? And it said about one o'clock, which is exactly when he was talking to Jesus. And it says that from that, the whole family believed in Jesus. Now remember, back in John 2, I think it was, Jesus was saying, I, I know people's hearts. I know who truly believes and who doesn't believe. So here's some interesting points about this. First of all, we find out that Jesus can heal from a distance. Right? 
He can, he can speak, which is what John 1 tells us. He spoke and the world was created. He can speak and he can heal somebody at a distance, which is pretty awesome. Like for us, if we're praying, if we're here this morning praying, but we're praying for somebody who's in another town, God can work there. Jesus can work there, right? Because he's God. Is that just kind of an interesting little tidbit? You might not be impressed by that, but I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Secondly, Jesus healed the son based on his dad's request. So Jesus didn't heal this kid based on the kid's faith. So today we hear a lot of people say, well, God will heal you if you have enough faith. And it's all about the faith, 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 faith. Well, yes, but not all the time. We're going to hear another story where Jesus doesn't heal based on the guy's faith. He doesn't heal him based on, on the kid's faith. He just heals him based on the dad's asking, would you do that? You know, a lot of times uh, today, these faith healers, which is, is, you know, it's not on the up and up, by the way. Um, they'll just say, if someone didn't get healed, well, that's because you didn't have enough faith. Well, Jesus heals people. Whether they have faith or not, it all depends on what his will is and what he's accomplishing, attempting to accomplish. Now, the man showed his belief by not hurrying back. Now, where do you get that one from, Harold? Well, get it from this. It was the seventh hour, which was 1 p.m., that uh, Jesus healed, uh, said, your son is healed. The guy takes an entire day to get home. He, he's not rushing home. He's not going, oh, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus really did this or not. No, he believed Jesus did it. Because, again, this is like a 20-mile walk and not easy terrain. He didn't have a little sidewalk. He didn't have a little scooter. He had to walk, and it was it was difficult walk, and it was around mountains. And so, if he goes three three miles per hour, which is a you know a long or a, or a hard pace to con, you know continue on, try it. Uh, I was watching uh, one of the football games here recently. One of the guys who was running, um, they clocked him at 22 miles an hour. Can you imagine running that fast? That'd be like awesome. My my eyebrows would be like blowing in the wind, and it's just like oh, the cheeks would be you know. Um, that would be awesome. But anyways, to go three miles per hour walking, it's, it's kind of hard to keep that up for a long period of time. So this guy had to, he's walking seven, eight, nine hours. And he probably didn't walk at night because it's really dangerous back then to be doing that. My point is this. It took him a while to get home. Why? Because he believed Jesus. He believed his son was okay. There's no need for him to rush back. And so he took his time because he believed him. And then that man's belief was heard and was seen by his family, and his entire family believed in Jesus. Well, after a while, Jesus finishes up in Cana. We're not told how long he's there, but he heads back to Jerusalem for another Jewish holiday. Now, when he gets there, John 5 tells us where we're going to be this morning. John 5 tells us that he walks past the pools at Bethesda. All right, so here's a picture of that. So this is not the normal way into the temple. In fact, the religious leaders would never have gone this way because if the religious leaders went by sick people, they would have become religiously unclean. They would not have been right with God anymore. And they have to go through some ceremonial, it doesn't sound really ridiculous, this uh, ceremonial cleansing to be right with God again. And so, but Jesus does, because Jesus cares about people who are hurting. Jesus cares about the sick. He cares about those who are suffering. And again, I'm not going to uh, read this, uh, I'm just going to summarize this. So here's just some details. First of all, he comes up to this place and he picks out one guy. Just one guy. Scholars say that as they've studied this out, there's at least hundreds if not thousands of people 
um, go back to that picture really quick if you can. Who are, you see the red roof? He said there's hundreds and thousands of people, potentially, sick people, inside of, under that roof area, just laying there. And this guy, the particular guy that Jesus talks to, he's been there for 40 years, 38 years, almost 40 years. And it's interesting, why would he pick out one guy? Why not heal everybody? He doesn't. And we're not told why. Well, we're given an indication as to why he heals this particular guy. But Now, this is a superstition. If, you, if you're reading your Bible, you would notice that you either have no verse 4, or there's a, a bracketed verse 4. It's because an editor had put in to explain why this was happening. What, why this was happening was they believed that an angel would come, and he would stir the water, and the first one in got healed. Now, it was superstition. It wasn't true. But again, people believe superstition, especially those who who wants something so badly. And so this guy's been sitting there for almost 40 years, trying to be the first one in. And Jesus says, hey, do you want to get healed? And Which, that's a yes or no answer, but he doesn't give a yes or no answer. What he says is, well, nobody's here to put me in the water. I, I can't get healed. But Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So the guy gets his, takes his mat. Now, again, I don't know if he had some tingling in his legs that told him that, and I've never been paralyzed. I've watched Downton Abbey and Matthew. He was paralyzed, and then he had some tingling in his legs, and then pretty soon something happened where he stood up and could walk. So I don't know, maybe that's what happened. But, okay, the 9 o'clock service laughed at that one, the Downton Abbey thing, but... Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Courtesy laugh. Oh, my word. Anyways, so... The guy gets up, he takes his mat, and he starts walking into the temple. The religious leaders see him carrying his mat and say, you can't do that. You can't work on the Sabbath, this day of rest. In other words, you walking with your mat is working, and you can't do that. We find out that um, as they kind of leave, and I'll go back to the last one, as they leave, and Jesus finds the man in the temple, and Jesus says something kind of strange to him. He says, hey, I see you're doing well, that's great. But I just want you to know, stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Kind of an interesting thing to say to the guy he just healed. Well, evidently, the man isn't very grateful, and he goes and tells the religious leaders that it was Jesus. Because they, they want to know, hey, who, who did that for you? Because, well, I'm not really sure. Well, then Jesus comes up to him and tells him, hey, don't keep sinning because something worse would happen to you. And he goes, oh, that's Jesus. So then he goes and tells the religious leaders. He's got to know that there's some issues here between the religious leaders. Right? Everybody knows what's going on with Jesus. And so it says there that then the religious leaders began to persecute her, to harass Jesus. And if you can picture this, as we go through John, anytime Jesus is in Jerusalem, and even outside of Jerusalem, there's going to be a group of religious leaders always watch, watching him, always nitpicking everything he's do, doing, always saying, no, 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 it's not the way we do it, it's not the way we do it, it's not the way we do it. You ever have people in your life like that? I know what you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing it right. That's, well, that's what he's got every single day. So here's some interesting points. First of all, the man was not breaking the Sabbath. In other words, the Mosaic law that Jesus, or that God gave to Israel said, yes, there is a Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man, for man to take a rest from his work, rest his body physically, and to renew himself spiritually, to worship God for a day, to just kind of focus in on that and not have to focus in on his work. What the religious leaders did with that is like, well, if that's 
if that's good, if that's what God likes and that pleases God, then if we write in some other things that they shouldn't be doing, that'll make God even like us more. And so they added in what they call the oral tradition. And one of those was you can't carry your mat. Why would God care if you're carrying a mat around? But they, they thought that's how God operated. Jesus didn't heal this guy based on his faith. In fact, he didn't even know it was Jesus when he got healed. He realized that later on. There was no faith involved here. Jesus was doing something else. Now, here's the other thing. Some sin evidently causes physical illness. Not all sin. And we know that the effect of sin from the Garden of Eden causes us to you know, have our weakness in our bodies. But what Jesus says, stop sinning or something, more, something worse will happen. And so there's some sin that will cause physical illness. Moses talks about this in Deuteronomy 28. That if Israel continued to sin, that, that there would be physical, uh, a physical impact in their life. David, King David talks about in Psalm 32, when he was sinning and there was unconfessed sin in his life, that that just continued to eat away with Adam and he couldn't sleep well at night and pretty soon he was having shakes and pretty soon he was just, he felt like his whole body was dead and there was a physical impact because he had unconfessed sin in his life. And 1 Corinthians, what we just got done reading in verse uh, chapter 11, right after this says, some of you in the, in the church at Corinth are weak and are sick because you have unconfessed sin in your life. James talks about the fact, call the elders and and have them pray over you because you're physically sick, but it's connected to um, the, the uh, unconfessed sin in a person's life. And so we, uh, we understand from Scripture that there is, and some of us know that. We know what happens in us, in our hearts, and our minds, and, and you know, a lot of times even depression and anxiety and fear and, and all that, that comes from sinful thinking in the sense of this. When we don't think the way God wants us to think, when we think the way we sh think we should think, yeah, when we think the way we should that's actually sin. And then when we start responding to life based on what we think we should be thinking, then we start responding wrong. And the more we do that, the more agitated we get because it's not the way God wants us to think. It's not the way God wants us to respond. And so we get it. We understand that this is happening. But here's the point. Jesus healed this guy because he wanted to initiate a conversation with the religious leaders, knowing there's going to be a bunch of people listening, that he wanted to make some things clear to these religious leaders and everybody else who was listening. So we pick it up in verse 16. You with me? Okay, good. Okay. Again, a lot of stuff here. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting or harassing Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Again, not obeying their man-made rules, because it's, it's not in God's law for Israel. But he answered them, <laughs> kind of strangely, uh, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, what does he mean? Well, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking, so this is what he was meaning, not only is he breaking the Sabbath, again, by their definition, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus wants these guys to know, you are dealing with God here. I'm not just any old man. I am God. I'm equal with God. And by the way, they got the message. Right? We, we may struggle with it, but they knew exactly what he was saying. Because not only now they were not just going to harass him, 
They wanted to kill him. They wanted his body removed from this earth because he was saying, I am God. Now, how is he doing that? What was, what's this saying that he said here? How's that happen? When he says, my father, he is saying, basically, I am God. Now, how is he saying that? In Jewish culture, if a, a father and a son were in business together, which Jesus is in business with God, if you want to put it this way, so he's trying to explain to them in human terms what this relationship he has with the Father. Now, again, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's hard for us to really, we can't grasp that completely, right? And so now there's an added element to this that he's trying to explain. He's going to use human terms. And so it would be like if Hagen and I were in business together, and um, we had to go buy some material. So I sent Hagen out to buy the material. He gets to the place, he's buying the lumber, and um, it was back in the day when you had to put it on your tab, that kind of thing. They would do that because Hagen was representing me. It was as if I was the one asking. In Jewish culture, that meant, basically, what Jesus was saying is, I'm God. I'm representing God. I have God's authority. When he says, my father, because... The, the religious leaders would never have ever said about God, my father. Because that's not how they viewed him. That was not honoring to God. Then he says, my father is working. So what Jesus is saying here is this. They just got done saying, you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't carry your mat. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. You can't do that, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, well, first of all, God's not restrained by the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's rule for man. And again, it was supposed to be a gift for man to take a break from their work, to spend time with God during the day, renew spiritually, refresh physically. And Jesus is saying, God isn't restrained by the law. God wrote the law. This isn't for God. And then Jesus says, I am working also. In other words, I'm God. Because if the law doesn't constrain God, and it doesn't constrain Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, I am God. Now again, you may be going, that's kind of weird. Well then just take the, the response of the Pharisees. The religious leaders, the Jews, they said, hey, this guy needs to be killed because he's saying he's God. So whether you believe it or not or thinking that, they believe that's what he was saying, and he's actually right. Now here's the sad, sad thing. According to Revelation 22, which is the last book in, our, in the Bible, um, we today um, no longer have new revelation coming from God. We have everything that we need to know. And he's given it to us in the pages of the Bible. So people who say, hey, I, there's more revelation coming, or God has given me a new message, don't believe them, don't listen to them, they're wrong, because Scripture says there's no new revelation coming. We have everything we need. The Pharisees, though, lived during a time where God was continuing to reveal who he is. The Old Testament is filled with God continuing to reveal something new about who He is. He, gave, he told people different names that related to the different things that were important about who He was and who He wanted to reveal. In the Gospels, those guys were still there. But here's the cool thing. They should, well, number one, they should have known that, but they didn't. Just like Jesus says, you guys don't even know the Old Testament. But here's the really cool thing that they missed. God was revealing something new to them, just like their forefathers had in the Old Testament. And the new thing was, I'm letting you know all of this in person. That God the Son put on flesh. That He's man. 
And they missed it all. Because they were so wrapped up in their religious tradition, so wrapped up in, in what they thought God's law was all about, and the new things that they were adding that were not what God wanted. These are people who should have understood. And they didn't understand. So Jesus goes on to explain that he is equal with God and he's going to detail some things about what he's doing, about what God does and how it is that he is in fact God. And here's the first one. It says, therefore, again because the Jews wanted to kill him, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, hey, listen up. So Jesus is kind of in the situation that I'm in. He's got a lot of information. The people are falling asleep, just like you guys are. And so I'm, hey, listen up. All right. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. In other words, if Jesus wasn't God, he couldn't do the things that he's doing because only God can do those things. For the Father loves, which is, this is kind of interesting, we'll talk about it a little bit, um, phileo, he uses the Greek word phileo, he doesn't use the word agape. So he uses this family kind of love, uh, which is kind of a cool thing. So because the father has his fatherly affection for the son, and because of his affection for the son, shows him all things that he himself is doing. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, first thing is this. First way that they can understand that he is in fact God. Jesus does the miracles or the signs that God does. So they're working together. They're, they're teamed up. Uh, they're united in the work. The things that God had done in the Old Testament... Jesus was doing today. He's not off doing his own thing. It's not him just saying, hey, going rogue, I'm going to do what I want. No, he's doing whatever it is that the Father wants him to do. And the Father does these things, and if the Son can do the same things, it means that he's God, because only God can do the things that Jesus is doing. And God loves the Son. Again, this is kind of a neat thing. He's just saying that this, and this is an ongoing present tense, means that this has been a relationship that he's had since the beginning of time, since eternity past. That there's this, there's this relationship. So this is coming something new for these guys. They believe God was one, and we believe God is one, but Scripture says that he's shown himself in three persons. So we have the Trinity. And so he's saying, hey, there's this this familial thing, this family thing going on here, this love between God the Father, God the Son. Trying to help them understand maybe a little of the, the Trinity. Remember Genesis chapter 1? Let us make man in our image, God said. That plural, they should have understood there's something plural going on here. They missed it. Then Jesus says, but wait, there's more. There's something that's going to be even greater than that. And that's what he says. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. In other words, you know, what, what could be greater than healing somebody? Well, for just as the Father raises the dead, and which, by the way, the Bible says that only God can raise the dead, and gives them life, and we're talking here context, physical life, even so the Son also gives life, or physical life, to whom he wishes. And so we know from the Bible that only God raises people from the dead. People who are physically dead, given physical Life And he's saying, hey, this is going to cause you to marvel. That word marvel means to impress or disturb. And for the religious leaders, they're going to be disturbed. They're going to be irritated by this, frustrated by this. But the Bible says, Deuteronomy 32, 1 Samuel 2, 2 Kings 5, Acts 26, 2 Corinthians 1, Hebrews 11. God is the one who raises people from the dead. 
And Jesus will demonstrate that several times moving forward. John 11, Matthew 9, Luke 7. He's going to raise people from the dead. And again, that's going to cause them to marvel in a sense that they're going to be very disturbed. In fact, when we get to Lazarus, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, they are definitely disturbed. They actually put things into motion where they're going to put them on the cross. Jesus doesn't stop with the physical, but he moves on to the spiritual. And he says this, For not even a father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment. Now again, the judgment he's talking about is over sin. John chapter 3 talks about that. To the Son. So that all will honor, show high regard, worship the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now again, John 4, that we worship in spirit and truth. For us to be true worshipers of God, we have to do it in truth. And truth being, Jesus is God. And if we don't believe that Jesus is God, you are not worshiping God. Not the God of the Bible. You're worshiping some other God that you've made up. Because only God of the Bible understands that Jesus is God. Truly, truly, I say to you, hey, listen up, this is important. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me, talking about God, has eternal life. There it is again. This eternal life, it keeps coming up. And does not come into judgment, talking about eternity in hell, but has passed out of death, spiritual death and judgment, into life or heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, because again, these guys are probably like talking, you know, and they're all getting all worked up at them. So he's got to constantly get their attention. An hour is coming and now is, in other words, now that Jesus has arrived, when the dead, those who are spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live or have spiritual life. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And we're talking about the Son of God, now he's talking about the Son of Man. There's a lot in there, and I just want to, put it this way, that Jesus, as God, has authority to judge people's hearts. We learned that back a few chapters ago. He knows who truly believes and who doesn't truly believe. He knows the sin that we've done. He knows the sin that we're going to do. He knows the attitude of our heart. He knows everything about us. Remember, we talked about that with the woman at the well. He knew everything about her life. She was a mess, and yet he still initiated a relationship with her and told her she could be forgiven, told her she could have a relationship with God. And so God, Jesus has that authority to judge people's hearts. He knows who are truly honoring Him and who are truly honoring God. And, and you can't honor uh, God if you don't honor Christ. Jehovah Witnesses, they'll tell you you can't worship Jesus. You can only worship God based off of what He told the lady at the well. But here Jesus is saying, no, you don't honor me, you don't honor God. And so it's a package deal. He is God. And in those who have eternal life, they won't experience this judgment of this eternity in hell because they'll be given spiritual life through Jesus. Because He is the Son of God, which makes Him 100% God, and He's the Son of Man, which makes Him 100% man. He's our representative. And then He says this. He moves now from something that's from, from the spiritual life to something that's going to happen in our future even. All right? So he's moving way to the future for him and certainly from us. It says this, Do not marvel at this. In other words, don't be disturbed. I'm giving you a fair warning. For an hour is coming. He doesn't say and now is because he's talking about something that's in our future. 
in which all who are in the tombs, so everybody who has ever died, will hear his voice and will come forth. They'll rise and stand before Jesus. There's going to be a point in time in the future where the bodies will be raised and the spirit of the person will be put back in that body. Christians will have uh, spiritually a live spirit. Non-Christians, non-people who have not placed their faith in Christ will have their spiritually dead spirit be put back in their body. Those who did the good deeds or showed that they were spiritually alive through obedient living to a resurrection of life, they'll go to heaven. Those who committed the evil deeds or showed they were spiritually dead through their disobedience to a resurrection of judgment or they'll spend eternity in hell. And then he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's saying, I'm doing what God calls, to, calls me to do. And the Old Testament spoke about this day as well. Let me break this down. It says, those who do the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Now, if you're listening to that, you'll be like, oh, wait a second. I thought you said good works don't save you. And if we were just looking at this verse, we would be like, oh, wow. Evidently, good works do save you. So there's a couple things there. Number one, uh, we don't just take one verse and build a doctrine off of it, a teaching off of it. And two, uh, the editors put the word deed in there to kind of help it read a little bit better. But it could says those who do the good. Well, what's the good? The good is what Jesus says, and that is that he's God, and that he's come from God the Father to give us eternal life. John 3 talks about that salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. So when we take all of Scripture together, we find that a relation with God is established when we place our faith in Him based on what He says about what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we do that, when He forgives our sins, He places God the Holy Spirit in us, and now we have spiritual life. Again, John 3, He talks about that. This is where the good works come in. John 3, Jesus said, those who have done that, they'll pursue the light, capital L, meaning Jesus. In other words, they'll pursue doing life more and more like Jesus. Not to gain salvation, but because they have salvation. Not to get spiritual life, but because they have spiritual life. And so only those that have spiritual life can do good things, in other words. And so when we Christians are raised, again, physically speaking, and our spirit is united with our body, he's going to say, you've received my forgiveness, you have God the Holy Spirit in you, you get to go to heaven. Not based on anything we've done, but based on what Jesus has done. Unfortunately, there's going to be many who choose not to hear what Jesus says. They're not going to believe that God sent him. And those are the ones who commit the evil deeds or commit the evil, not believing what God says about who Jesus Christ is. And those will turn, they won't turn to Jesus, they're going to turn from Jesus. Now here's the scary part of that. Look what Jesus says about this day over in Matthew. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now what God will, what's God's will? God's will is to trust in Jesus for salvation, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, those would be some really good deeds, right? That should, that should get anybody into heaven. But Jesus says this, and then I will declare to them, because he knows their hearts, he knows why they were doing those things. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Because here's the thing, you guys, and we've got to get this. Jesus brings this up over and over and over again. 
We've already seen this in the previous chapters. That if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you have a relationship, a true relationship with Jesus Christ, and God's Holy Spirit is in, is in you, you will pursue doing life God's way. You just will do that. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit is helping you do that, is, is motivating you to do that. You might, what Jesus is saying here, you might even be doing good works. But Jesus knows why you're doing those good works. See, salvation is only through faith in Christ. Then the good works happen. If we're doing good works to get to heaven, then we're motivated by selfishness. And selfishness is sin. And now we're still stuck in a sinful body, sinful spirit that doesn't have any spiritual life. When we place our faith in Christ, we've truly done that, we will pursue the light. We will pursue doing life the way Christ wants us to do it. The Old Testament law said it took two to three witnesses to confirm the truth of a matter. And we're not going to read the rest of this chapter. You can do that when you get home. But Jesus finishes out giving four witnesses to who he is, to the truth of what he's saying about himself. The first one he says is John the Baptist. John chapter 1, they went and interrogated John the Baptist. And he told him, no, Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. Jesus' works, which are the works that only God can do, we talk about today, those are, are witness to his truthfulness. He says, God is also one of, my, one of my witnesses who stands there. The problem is you guys don't know him, so you're not hearing him give his testimony. He's talking to the religious leaders. And then he says, Scripture is also one of my witnesses. In fact, Moses, the one that you hold so highly, he also spoke about me. The day that the prophet, the Messiah, would come, Jesus is the Messiah. God, who's come to be our Savior and Lord. So, what do we take away from this? First one is this. Going all the way back to the beginning, if you can remember, the guy whose son was healed, and are you trusting Jesus to fulfill his promises? This guy did. And his life was not frazzled. He wasn't all worked up. He, he just trusted what Jesus said, and he went on home, and sure enough, what Jesus said was going to happen, it happened. And so are you trusting Jesus to fulfill his promises? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us a huge amount of promises in Scripture. And so I would just challenge you. Uh, do you know what those promises are? Are you spending time in the Word knowing what the promises are, and are you trusting him, or is your life frazzled? Are you constantly worried and constantly scared? I've got guys in our church who are constantly reminding me, Lord knows, here, Lord knows. Because I get, you know, I get worked up. I, I want things the way I want them. I want them when I want them. I, I, God doesn't work in my time, and sometimes I get worked up. It's fortunate i got guys who kind of get me back on track. Secondly, is this. There you go. Have you thanked Jesus for the healing and victory over sin he's brought into your life? Um, the guy who got healed at the, the pool of Bethesda, he didn't. He wanted so desperately to be healed, and Jesus came along and he healed him. And what did he do? He turned on Jesus in more ways than one. And a lot of people do that today. I'll come to Jesus if he'll do this. I'll come to Jesus if he'll do that. And a lot of times, he'll do that. And then what they'll do is come up with another reason as to why maybe that happened, and they'll turn on Jesus Understand, Jesus does the work in your life that he does for his glory, 
for other people to see who He is through your life. And then the last one. What oral traditions are you trusting in? By that I mean, we call it legalism. I was raised in a home that was kind of legalistic. They added on to what God said. So we believe that Jesus, you know, have faith in Jesus, but then you, could, you shouldn't do these other things. If you do, then you may or may not be saved. Um, but if you do those, if you do these other things, you'll definitely know you're saved. No, salvation is only through faith in Christ. Okay? And so what the religious leaders were doing is they were kind of controlling people because um, it was good for them, and so they added on to what God said. And a lot of times this deals directly with eternal life. A lot of Christian religions will say, yeah, put your faith in Jesus, but then you also have to do this, 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 or this. That's not what Jesus taught. That's why he's constantly getting on to religious leaders. We Sadly, we have religious leaders today who say the exact same thing. They call themselves Christians. And that's not what Jesus says. Salvation is through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And then we move from there. We have God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then he gives us the strength and the ability to do life the way God wants us to do it. Not for salvation, but because we're saved. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I say this every week. I just thank you for your word. Lord, there's a lot here today. And uh, thank you for each one hanging in there. But Lord, I pray that with all that I've said and all that we've read, that your Holy Spirit would do his work and, and, and drop the, the spiritual truth, the biblical truth, into the hearts and minds of each one, wherever that might be, whatever they need to know and hear. But Lord, my big prayer is that if, if there's some here that don't know you, who are uncertain about their eternal life, uncertain about having a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would not let them rest until they know for sure, and that can only be by them asking you to forgive them of their sins and asking you to give them spiritual life. And you said you will do that. And then they will be yours for eternity, taking them through the struggles and difficulties of life here. And then when they die physically, to spend eternity with you in heaven. Again, Lord, I pray that you would not let individuals rest who have not made a decision most important one that they can make in their life. Lord, for the rest of us who have made a decision, I pray that you'd help us to represent you well in this world, that we would show others who you are through how we live our lives, that we'd be obedient to you, pursue you. In Christ's name, amen.